So the readings they come from Hebrews chapter 2, starting verse 5 to 18. It is not to angels that he subjected the world to come, about which we are speaking. But there is a place where someone has testified. What is mankind that you are mindful of them? A son of man that you care for them? You made them a little lower than the angels. You crowned them with glory and honor, and put everything under their feet. In putting everything under them, God left nothing that is not subject to them. Yet at present, we do not see everything subject to them. But we do see Jesus, who was made lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honor, because he suffered death, that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. In bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom exists everything, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. Both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family, that Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. He says, I will declare your name to my brothers and sisters. In the assembly, I will sing your praises. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, he says, Here I am, and the children of God has given me. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death that is the devil, and free those who are their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it is not angels who helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people, because he himself suffered when he was tempted. He's able to help those who are being tempted. Now we might move her up, he's going to ask the question, are we longing for purpose? Just want to extend a warm welcome to you, especially if you're here for the first time. Um, EU has asked me to speak on the topic of uh, longing for purpose. Uh, so let me begin by asking you the question, what do you think is the purpose of life? Uh, perhaps I need to be a little bit more specific and ask you what you think the purpose of your life uh, might be. What are you living for? You're at uni, so it's not hard to imagine that your next goal that you're aiming for is uh, graduation. Uh, perhaps you want the best marks you can get so that you can get the best job, so that you can work in the best organisation or company where you can advance and get promoted in the in your field so that you're recognised by many um, and be a success in your profession. If you're doing business or law, uh, that might have a very tangible look to it. You know, the Holy Grail, which is a corner office on the 30th floor looking out over Sydney Harbour. Now, I say that because I recently visited a friend who had achieved exactly that and the view was spectacular, except he kind of commented the only time I really get to see it is when I come in the, in the first thing in the morning and the rest of the time it's just heads down after that. If you're doing arts, it might be a view of another kind as you're looking out the window at the drive through at McDonald's or something like that. <laughs> Sorry if you're, if you're an art student. 
I do love you. Um, I do love you. Um, I, I did engineering, and that was all we ever used to speak about when I was doing engineering back in the day. I'm sure it's much more advanced nowadays. Um, but the question remains, what are you living for? Is it success or money or career or love? What is your purpose uh, to life? Now, broadly, I think there's two different ways of speaking uh, about this topic or that you can approach in answer to this uh, question. The first is that you believe that the answer comes from outside of you because there is a God, there is a higher power outside of you that gives you, that gives us uh, the universe uh, meaning and purpose. If there is a God, then he is the creator and creation necessarily implies a reason a purpose for creation. God created us on purpose for a purpose. Um, creation, the universe, you, me, we're not accidents. We're the product of a purposeful creator who is taking us somewhere. And so therefore, he is the one who will provide us with meaning and purpose. Our, uh, what we need to do, therefore, is to get in tune with God and seek to go in the direction that he is taking us and live for the purpose that he himself uh, instills in us. Our purpose, in other words, comes out from outside of us, from God. But the second answer to the purpose of life is that it comes from within us. Uh, the meaning and purpose to life is the meaning and purpose that I give it. Atheism, for example, says that there is no creator. The universe, life as you know it, as uh, uh, you and me, we're just all accidents, chance byproducts of a totally random series of events that began billions of years ago and that resulted in purposeless, meaningless sequence of chance happenings that is now the universe as we see it, you, me, sitting here in this lecture hall. Uh, in the words of the famous atheist Richard Dawkins uh, from his uh, three-part series on sex, uh, death and the meaning of life, more and more of us now do not believe in God or life after death we live and then we die and that's it. We're born by chance and our lives are shaped by chance events. Uh, many people have struggled to come to terms with the reality of a purely physical universe because we're just chance, there's no meaning, there's no purpose. Now the obvious uh, logical conclusion to this is that there is no meaning uh, and purpose uh, to life and therefore there is no meaning and purpose to my life because it's just random, meaningless, purposeless chance. But even an atheist like Richard Dawkins wants to say that atheists should determine their own meaning and purpose to life. Uh, on the Richard Dawkins uh, Foundation website, it states that atheists actually can use science uh, to answer the question, what is the meaning of life for you? You might want to ask, why would you even want to do that if you seriously believe in this? Well, the article goes on to suggest, studies show... Uh, that people who feel their life has meaning experience a substantially higher sense of well-being and even physical health. And in his TV series, Dawkins actually talks about two literary greats of history, uh, Leo Tolstoy and Graham Greene, who both fell into a deep depression when they actually stopped believing in God because life stopped having meaning and purpose for them. Their atheism drove them into a period of great anguish and even suicidal despair at the meaningless of it, of it all. But they, uh, their despair actually lifted, he says, when they rediscovered meaning and purpose in life because 
And interestingly enough, Dawkins even acknowledges this, that these two great intellectuals found this because they found it in the God of Christianity. So the lesson from this, Richard Dawkins goes on to say, is that you need to provide your own purpose for your own life. You don't need God or religion to give you one. You can do it for yourself. I think that's a very bizarre lesson to learn from Tolstoy and Green's experience of finding God and therefore finding purpose and meaning. But that is the, that's the lesson that he wants you to derive from it all. But nevertheless, whether we believe in God or not, most people live for the purpose of life that they themselves uh, give to themselves. I mean, we like to think of ourselves as unique individuals who are free to pursue whatever it is that we think is right for us to pursue, uh, that will make us happy, that will satisfy our deep desires. I think that's the way most of us live, whether we believe in God or not. And, and, and it really is kind of the air that we breathe, particularly in uh, Western materialistic Australia. From a young age, we start chasing the next thing that will hopefully satisfy us. We're hoping that more education, more wealth, more power, more freedom, more prestige, more love will finally achieve our goal of arriving. And so my question is, when will you have arrived? What will it look like for you? What are you living for? Now, we all hope that we'll be different to everyone else when it comes to this uh, and actually manage to arrive. But the sad reality is that the case of human history is that mankind never actually arrives. Uh, when we reach one goal we're aiming for, we find ourselves uh, desiring yet something more more money, more power, more freedom, more love, whatever it is, striving for more but never arriving. We keep shifting the goalposts as we realise that the goals that we set for ourselves weren't high enough or lofty enough or simply just satisfying enough for us. And the experience of many people will document it is even when they manage to climb to the very top of their profession or their careers or their sporting endeavours or whatever it is, then they realise that the goal that they were pursuing was no prize at all. Uh, Stephen Covey, who's the best-selling author of uh, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, put it like this, most people spend their whole lives climbing the ladder of success only to realise when they get to the top, the ladder has been leaning against the wrong wall. And the problem is, you see, I think, if we analyse it, is that our desires seem to be unlimited because we just keep on wanting more and more, infinite even, because they refuse to be satisfied with whatever it is that we could possibly throw at it. That's the experience of Ecclesiastes and many other people in history. Uh, the more I do to satisfy my desires, the more I discover that the, my desires are actually greater than I imagine them to be. If you desire money, you can never get enough money. Uh, the more you have, the more you want. If you desire thrills, then... Bun bungee jumping is not enough. Uh, then you realise that skydiving or then base jumping is not enough. Uh, there'll be not enough things to do to satisfy that desire. You'll just find that there's more. If you desire pleasure, then you'll only discover that too much pleasure uh, just isn't enough. The body, the mind, the eyes, the heart just wants more and more and more. 
that can never arrive. Our desires are actually insatiable, unlimited, seemingly infinite. But the sad reality is that our ability, what we're capable of doing and seeking to satisfy our desires, is very limited. We are finite beings with infinite desires that only an infinite being could possibly satisfy, which we ain't. So we can't. Now what I want to do is actually look at the Bible to see what it has to actually say about God's purpose for us in our lives. And I want to do it by looking at two stories uh, in particular in the Bible. The first uh, to see what God's purpose for us is, but why it is that we have rejected uh, God's purpose for us um, uh, so as to chase after our own purpose uh, that we give ourselves and why it is that we find ourselves in the mess that we're in with unfulfilled desires. And the second uh, is God's answer to the mess that we have uh, created for ourselves. So the first story takes us all the way back to the beginning in the book of Genesis. Right at the beginning, um, we're just going to quickly look at this, um, right at the beginning, um, in Genesis chapter 1, it tells us that God created humanity for a purpose. Then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, uh, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. So right from the start, you can actually see that God has actually created humanity with great dignity in that we're made in his own image. We were made to be like God, to be like God in actually ruling uh, the whole of creation. Um, God looks after the earth. We're meant to look after the earth. God gives it uh, order and purpose, and we are actually meant to provide order to the universe. That's a really high position that God has ascribed to us in simply being human. In other words, we were made for, for glory, uh, for a very high, noble purpose indeed. And I want to suggest that that desire in you that niggles at you to want dignity, that, that wants respect, that wants success and that wants glory, according to the Bible, is because God made you that way. That is your purpose. That is your destiny, or that's what you were destined for. It was meant to be. As Psalm 8, actually, reflecting on God's creation of humanity, puts it like this. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you've set in place, what is, mindful that you're, uh, what is mankind that you're mindful of them? human beings, that you care for them. You made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honour. You made them ruler over the works of your hands and you put everything under their feet. We were made for glory, with great dignity, respect, glory, to rule over the whole of the world. I mean, we're inferior to the angelic beings in that we're physical creatures, but God has given us such glory and honour that we even rise above the angels in, in prestige, if you like, in ruling the whole of the universe, the whole of the created order. That's an incredibly 
high view that God has has of us. And and friend, I want to suggest that is the high view that God has of you. You matter to God. He is mindful of you. And he cares for you, as it says. That is why he cares about what you do. It matters to him what happens to you. And it matters to him what you do uh, to others as well. God is not indifferent to what goes on in the world, particularly to the people that he has made in his own image. We all matter to God. But that incredibly glorious, honourable position that God intended for us is clearly not the way it is now. Something has actually gone wrong that leaves our desires for this high, glorious position desperately unsatisfied. And that is where we turn to Genesis 3 uh, in the garden. So I want to just quickly turn to uh, Genesis 3. And you can see there uh, the story of... um, Adam and Eve in the garden, uh, uh, which happens just after um, God has made all of creation. It says there that he plants a garden uh, in Eden and he puts the the man and the woman in the garden uh, to tend uh, and care for it. And he gives them one instruction, which is you're free to eat from all the trees in the garden, but from one tree you're not allowed to eat the tree of knowledge of good and evil. So it says in chapter 3, verse 1, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. But God said, You must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. You must not touch it or you will die. You will certainly not die, uh, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realised they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Adam and Eve are placed in a picture-perfect paradise um, and given great honour and dignity by God and total freedom to rule over the whole earth, except for one thing. God told them that they couldn't eat from that tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the tree in the middle of the garden. But along comes the serpent, who we're told represents Satan, or the devil in the story, and he begins by questioning God's commandment to them. He tries to interpret God's commandment in the worst possible light. In verse 1, did God really say you mustn't eat from any tree in the garden? Um, Eve corrects him in verse 2, no, it's just the one tree. But you can see the tactic of Satan. He wants her to focus on God's restriction, not the amazing near total freedom that he has given uh, them. And then in verse 4, Satan totally contradicts God. You won't surely die. Rather, in verse 5, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. You'll be like God, knowing good and evil. So now that he's got her to focus on God's restriction on that one restriction he wants her to doubt the purpose and the goodness of God in providing that restriction it's not that God wants what's best for you he wants to deprive you he wants you to miss out on the joy the pleasure the freedom of being like God choosing for yourself 
what is right and what is wrong, where to go and how to get there. He wants you to rely on him to, uh, to work it all out. You can do that for yourself. You don't need God. You don't need anybody to tell you what you, you to do. You can be self-made, self-determined. Now, notice Eve's reaction to it in verse 6. She now sees the tree in a totally different light. She notices that it's actually good for food. I mean, so is every other tree in the garden, the millions of other trees that were there. She notices that it's pleasing to the eye. No doubt, all the other trees were just as pleasing to the eye. But this one is also desirable, key word there, for gaining wisdom. Not just any wisdom, but the wisdom to be like God, determining for yourself what is right and what is wrong. No more restriction. It's just one commandment, but still no more restriction. Total freedom, becoming like God. Now, I want to suggest that ultimately our desire is really to become like God, to become what God already is, if you like. That, that is where our desires and our ambition drives us to. We want to be free, like God, to decide what we want, when we want. We don't need God to tell us what to do. Um, we can decide for ourselves. And so we ignore what God says on the grounds that we think that we know better for us, for me, for ourselves. Uh, we do what seems good and desirable in our own eyes. Just like Adam, we see the, the fruit and we take and we eat. But in verse 7, we start to see the consequences of that action. And I'm going to cut the long story short by saying that our rebellion uh, against God, our push for autonomy, for freedom, leads to chaos that we find in the world. They start covering up from each other. There's division amongst them and there's division with God and then there's division uh, and ruined relationship with the rest of the created order as well. It's chaos. Not just the chaos out there, it's also the chaos in my own heart, in my own unfulfilled desires, uh, with the heartache and the heartbreak that I experience on a regular occasion in the life that we live in on this earth. We wanted freedom, but oh, to have the freedom that we had back in the garden, really. There's restrictions galore now. We find ourselves longing for freedom. We wanted to be like God, to have it all, glory, honour, dignity, freedom, but we've lost it all. So we find ourselves longing for it again with an intensity that just refuses to die because we were made for these things. We wanted to live it up, but sadly God was right. Death now rules over every single one of us. And worst of all, we've still got this awful view of God that we still believe the lie of the devil, that deep in our hearts we believe that God is a restricting, depriving killjoy. And that's why we refuse to go to him. But the Bible doesn't leave us there in our sin and misery and despair. The Bible actually directs us to a solution to our mess that God himself offers. That's what the story of the Bible is all about. Not that we deserve God to intervene, but the incredible thing that we discover about God is that he still loves us anyway. And here we turn to our second passage, as we read in Hebrews chapter 2. 
God's vision um, of mankind, if you like. Uh, it starts in Hebrews chapter 2. Can I get to that passage? I don't think I put it up there. No. There we go. Um, Hebrews chapter 2. It starts with in verse 5 and 8. Uh, uh, by God's uh, 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 showing us his purpose for us. Uh, quoting Psalm 8 that we read early to us, we were made for glory, we were made for rule, we were made for honour. But at the end of verse 8, it tells us very clearly that that's not what we see now. That's not the way it is now. Uh, that's what we're just talking about. But there is one man, Jesus, uh, who has fulfilled God's purpose for humanity. That's what uh, verse 9 goes on to say. We see Jesus uh, made a little lower than the angels for a little while. In other words... Uh, he became like one of us, just like us. He lived like one of us. He went through the hardships of life like one of us. He was like us in every way, uh, the writer to the Hebrew tells us, except he never sinned. He never rebelled against God. And therefore, he never deserved to suffer and die. But he became human like us, suffered like us, and died like us so that he could. Uh, in verses 14 to 15, uh, we see that he does this in order to break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. So Jesus came to destroy the devil and his work, the devil who lied to us and tempted us to rebel against God in the first place and who brought through these lies death and chaos to our world, to us. Jesus came to undo the devil's mess, to destroy him and to free us from that misery and death. And he does this, we're told, by dying in our places. Back in verse 9, he puts it like this. Yep, verse 9. Um, he suffered death so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. He died for us instead of us. Uh, and as this letter goes on to explain, he he died the death that we deserved. He died in our place for every single one of us so that we could be forgiven and set free from the punishment of our sins and not face uh, the death and judgment that we deserved. But not only that, because Jesus rose from the dead, ascended, uh, he, is, he ascended to heaven and uh, sits at, at God's uh, right hand in glory, everything has now been subjected to him. That is, Jesus has conquered death. Uh, he's conquered uh, the uh, um, uh, Satan. He's conquered everything. He now rules over all. I don't think you could actually get to a, a higher, more glorious position than the, the position that the writer to the, the, uh, to the Hebrews actually points to us uh, where Jesus is at the moment. But the point that Hebrews makes is Jesus did all this as a human being. That is, Jesus fulfills the destiny of humanity. We humans were made for glory. Well, Jesus now occupies that place of glory. I mean, it's more glorious than we could have ever possibly imagined for ourselves. But Jesus fulfills humanity's destiny. But the point is here that he didn't do it for himself. He was there already. Before he was human. But he did it for us. He became human so that he could take us with him as a human. And verse 10 tells us that Jesus brings many 
sons and daughters to glory. It's crazy, isn't it? Because when you think about it, what Adam and Eve grasped for, to be like God, having that kind of glory and honour and dignity and freedom, but what ended in total disaster and evil and death reigning, uh, and not just them, but each one of us, we all imitate that particular sin of Adam and Eve. It turns out that God actually wants to freely give us what we've been grasping for all along, what they grasped for in the very beginning, but we never seem to get. God freely gives it to us in Jesus. Jesus came to change the destiny that we created for ourselves. He came to rescue us from the sin and the death and the hell that we deserve to take us to the very heights of glory. Now, I'd love to spend more time on all these topics because it's, it's just fantastic, in particular that second story that we looked at, uh, but I just don't have that kind of time available to us in, in this short talk. Um, but I hope what you've been uh, seeing and what we've been seeing as we've explored all our talks really is that our deepest desires for money, for power, for control, for freedom, for love, for an end to suffering, despite all our attempts personally and collaboratively to satisfy them, they remain unsatisfied. But the consistent message of the Bible is that God actually created these desires in, in us and he wants to satisfy all of them for us in a way that actually works in a way that will result in perfect peace and harmony and love and freedom and glory and in a way that will end all evil and suffering and even death. Not in the small individualistic ways that we find totally frustrating and unsatisfying anyway. No, no. He wants to do it in his way. And that will result in it being us being satisfied. And he wants to give us all these things freely, without cost, without effort on our part. We don't have to grasp for it. We just simply have to receive it from his gracious hands because all the cost and the effort is borne by him in the person of Jesus. Why? Because the devil was wrong. God actually loves us and he does want what is best for us. He doesn't want to deprive us, but to free us and to give us everything he's got. No holds barred. None of it. Because one of the verses in the Bible tells us that if God freely gave us what was most precious to him, his son, how will he withhold anything from us in the end? Won't he freely give us all things? He will. Because that's the kind of generous and loving God that he actually is. So friends, I want to throw it out there to you. Why not let go of your futile efforts at finding meaning and purpose and satisfaction and discover the glorious purpose, the glorious destiny that God wants to simply give you at his own expense? Why not come to Jesus and receive all that God has to offer I mean, one says it sounds too good to be true. But I want to say it is true. Now, I'm not expecting you to believe me, but at least check it out for yourselves. Take up the offer that we're asking to investigate Jesus further over the next three weeks. Why not do it? 
We'd love to help you. If you're not able, just talk to a friend. I'd love to talk to you about it later on if you're free um, at afternoon tea. Come and talk to me. But do something because it's too good to not do anything about it. But if you do want to make that decision now, then I'm going to pray a prayer, which I invite you to pray with me. Just echo the words or the ideas in your own head. Don't have to say it out loud. God will hear and he promises to answer. So I hope that you might just join me in prayer now. Um, uh, So let's please, all of us, bow our heads in prayer. And if you want to pray this prayer, then pray it in your own head. And know that God will hear you and answer. Let's pray. Dear God, I know that I really don't deserve anything from you. I don't deserve your purpose for me. The gift of eternal life and glory and satisfaction. I am guilty of rebelling against you and ignoring you. I need forgiveness. Thank you for sending your son to die for me that I may be forgiven. Thank you that he rose from the dead to give me new life and purpose. Please forgive me and change me that I may live with Jesus as my Lord. Amen. Friends, if you have prayed that prayer, then you should know that God hears you. And I want to say, in the words of Hebrews 2, welcome to the family. You're now a son and daughter of God together with us. And we'd love to welcome you as a current family member. Um, So please tell one of your your friends or someone uh, about it. We'd love to celebrate with you the new life that God has given you. And I'll leave you out of here, Jack. Thanks, Bruce. I mean, so if you have any questions about the talk today... Um, please have a chat to me or Musa or the friend you came with, or let us know on you connect. Um, if you have any questions or more thoughts, things like that about that. Um, but if you just want to pray with me. <laughs> Lord, there is nowhere near enough on this earth to satisfy our desires. We have finite beings with infinite desires, but you have made us for glory, and this purpose comes from you. To rule over the earth with dignity and respect, but we ignore you because we think we know what is best for our own lives, and because of this, we're stuck in sin and despair. But you intervene, not because you had to, but because you love us. And you sent your son, Jesus, who suffered death, so that by your grace, you might taste death for everyone. You've offered us glory through your son. Help us to accept your perfect sacrifice.